name is Wan and you're listening to Birthing Babes podcast. I have to split Babes 14's episode into two because there's over two hours worth of A plus content. Let's hear from Patience Hodgson of the Aussie band The Greats talk about her life and the birth of her first daughter Soda. I want to say that you're the first person that I'm interviewing that I don't know personally, so I'm quite oh. nervous. <laughs> oh wow! Well, I feel honoured. I'll do. I'll try to be as like friendly and old school as I. We've um, known each other for years. So, who am I talking to? So, uh, my name is Patience Hodson, and I have two kids. Yes. Um, with two very different births, and I was in a band and still in technically in a band called The Greats. Amazing. I was telling my friends and I'm like, I'm interviewing patients of the fucking great. And one of my friends from mother's group said her husband is obsessed with you, like, and your music. And um, he, 10 years ago, I think you were, must be in Melbourne. He took a photo with you, but he had his arm hovering, like a hover arm over you. Yes. <laughs> and she sent yeah. me a photo and I'm like, that's the best photo ever. <laughs> yeah. That was, that's a really, that's a sweetheart human being. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like he wants to respect you, but at the same time, kind of want to get personal. Yeah. I'm into it. That was great. <laughs> that was really sweet. So what are you up to now? So what I'm up to now is I'm just like potentially overreacting and quarantining myself for mm. COVID-19. Yes. And that's that. I don't and, think you uh, are overreacting. I think a lot of people kind of just realize, and me included now, that um, it's actually much more real than we thought it would be. Yeah. I think it was so a friend of mine lives in um, Taiwan and she said that they've like, they've known about this since December. So, and they've only had one death in Taiwan. Like, oh yeah, because they, you got to look up what they did. They actually just, they just did such a good job. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I sort of, I don't know, just after speaking to her about it and reading more about it, I, I sort of, I thought, you know what, we could, she's only, I've like, my eldest daughter's only in prep. Although I have to be honest, the, the school's pretty snarky at me. For taking. I'm being irresponsible, but you know, whatever. It's just, I figure we'll go back after the Easter holidays. If like, if I've overreacted, whatever, we'll be back after the Easter holidays. No big deal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I want to do my bit to make sure we don't turn into Italy. <laughs> exactly. Basically. Yeah. How many, um, there's not much time left at school anyway, two weeks? Yeah. So. And that's how long you want it to be um, isolated for, right? Yeah. So I think in the end it will be like, we'll be in for like four weeks or five weeks. Mm. And, and we, you know, maybe we won't have to stay isolated that whole time. So we'll see. Yeah. But my husband's isolated in a granny flat a few suburbs away because he came back from America on Sunday. Yeah. So right. we'd already decided to isolate him for two weeks before this like mandatory isolation stuff. Came yeah. In. So that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. I'm glad and that's happening. You've got everything you need at home, food. We'll be fine. <laughs> we'll work it out. I keep feeling like we're the lucky ones because I mean, if you were elderly or, you know, had a disability, I feel like you'd be, probably in some strife but so mm. we've got it 
I keep being like, I'm sure I'm like, I'm like a white lady with two children. I'm probably going to be fine. Like I am not the person that needs to worry. There's so many other people out there. You know, if you've got English as a second language, mm. like, yeah, you're in a way probably worse situation than me. So mm. yeah, I'm being, I'm being cool about it. My aunt and uncle are in self-isolation as well because my uncle's quite old. He's in high risk yeah. of and um yeah. and Akira, my daughter, is young, so she is apparently like he can't see anyone, especially kids. Yeah. Um so for two months his doctor told him to be isolated for, um, which is yep. a long time, but again, I guess um, you know, they got to do everything to protect themselves. So they can't see my um their granddaughter well granddaughter for like two months but thank goodness for facetime and the internet yes totally this morning we went to the shops early and i'm not an early morning person and people everywhere lining up to get into the shops um there's no meat but there's just old people everywhere waiting to get into the shops and i'm like you need to stay home like send your kids or something to buy food for you but um yeah, everyone's panicking and we found meat double the price, but yeah, there's meat. I feel like people are just like panicking in an awkward, in a way that I don't sanction. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you are doing the wrong type of panicking. Yeah. You're just hoarding food and going out and seeing people when I feel like I'm doing what I would say is a very, um, like, I feel like it's a very mindful type of panicking where I'm yeah. not like out hoarding all the stuff, getting tons of toilet paper. I'm just... We're just staying inside our house yeah. and playing it safe. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I've got like, there's so many people I know that uh, it's like they keep laughing at what I'm doing, but then they're also hoarding. They're like, have so much toilet paper and all the pasta and they've hoarded all this stuff. Mm. So I kind of feel like you don't get to laugh at me staying inside my house. So who knows what happens? So we should get down to the meat. Yeah. I guess we'll talk to you. You have soda and fade. Yep. And so does the oldest. Yep. And let's talk about that, her pregnancy, uh, the pregnancy with Soda and then the birth. Were you touring and stuff while you were pregnant with Soda? So when I was pregnant with Soda, uh, we didn't tour, but we did an album um, in November in Oz Music Month. So we had this like, we kind of started, I guess, feeling this pressure because I was pregnant. But it was like, oh, man, if we don't release an album, we who knows when we'll actually get an opportunity to release one so in oz music month back in like 2014 i we decided to just in one month just write record an album and mix it and release it so it was like 28 days or something and um and some of the songs we did actually already have written or mostly written but uh, yeah it was just like a really quick process and a real quick turnaround and yeah, we went down and we did it in Sydney, but we didn't really do any touring. And I mean, it was fine. I sometimes I felt bad, like when I was singing really aggressive, you know, parts to songs that she would move around heaps in my belly. Oh, really? And we always rehearsed. We did, you know, with like, it was loud. It was really loud. I'll never know if I've damaged her because she was the most anxious. She's the most anxious of both of my children. Yeah. Um, and then we also had a shop at the time. We had a bar and cafe oh, for wow. six and a half years. Mm. So we also were running that at the same time. So it was pretty, it was pretty crazy, hectic time. 
Yeah. So when I was pregnant with her, though, I really wanted to go through the public health care system because all of my friends were going private. And just as like one of my core beliefs is I really believe in having a really good quality public health care system for everybody. I just, it's just something I've always felt like since I started, I guess, even considering things like public health care as like a teenager or whatever. But I, I just really, I just have always felt like you don't know what family you're going to get born into and you don't know, it's not your choice and you don't know how, what sort of stuff you're going to have going on. So I just really wanted to, I wanted to know what it was like birthing in the Australian public health care system. Um, and I had so many friends that pretty much every single person I knew was birthing private. And in Brisbane, you birth in the same hospital and you often use the exact same supplies. If you're birthing in Mata Private or the Mata Public, it's exactly the same building. It's essentially the same birth. But, you know, and, and also it's just, yeah, I just wanted to take advantage of our public healthcare system. And everybody that I know that has birthed privately also had cesareans. Yeah. So I just also had a real... I just really do think, and I know that it's like people can always find whatever information they want to find to um, convince them of their bias. But my bias is that if you are, you have a higher chance of having a cesarean if you birth privately than if you do publicly. Um, so yeah, and I really wanted to birth naturally with her and um, just thought it wasn't going to be a big deal. And... <laughs> You know, and that was, and that was it. And my experience through the, like, I think it's just like, I mean, I cannot tell you how black and white my two births and pregnancy experiences are. My first birth with soda is so, is in st like such stark contrast to free birthing with fade um, yeah. a few years later. They're just the whole, everything about them is so different. But birthing in like through the Mata hospital, um, in Brisbane, I also was just amazed that, you know, it's like when you get, I think when you first become pregnant, you just think that there's like going to be this celebration, like this, this party, like, and it's such a subtle thing. It's yeah. like you become pregnant and nothing really changes mm -hmm. and no one wants to see you for weeks. And you're sort of like, but I'm pregnant. Do you want to, <laughs> do you want to look at me and study me? And what do you, you know? And they're like, okay just give us a call come in we've got a 12-week appointment you're like 12 weeks yeah. that's ages away yeah. and um you know and totally and then when it came to fade you know it was like it was chill I got it it wasn't a big deal but I think that first birth you just sort of expect there to be a party anytime you tell anybody you're yeah. like getting your breastfeeding and pregnancy tablets at the pharmacy <laughs> and you're and you think they're gonna be pumped and excited for you and they don't care they hand them out to ladies all the time. They hand them out to dudes. They're just like, we don't care. And so I remember like the first time I bought those, those vitamins, it was, it was just such a non-plus experience. I didn't get like showered with confetti that came out of the roof. And, and I just got my change and was like, okay. And, that's like, and then everyone gets really excited and then nothing happens, you know, for ages. Yeah. And then you know, everyone just has a comment on your belly for yonks. And then, and then the next thing that happens is like, finally, I sort of feel like after nine months, you just constantly keep hearing for the final month of your pregnancy, when is your baby coming out? It just or um, like are you sure it's not twins in there? I get yeah, that. Yeah, are you sure it's not twins? Like, it's just excuse like me? all the, 
it drove me insane. So I chose with soda because I really, I did some reading and I chose with soda that I wanted to not get induced. And I'd looked at stuff and I knew that there was like the chance of it snowballing with intervention. So I was like, I don't want to be induced. And also my sister, um, so my sister went with a um, private midwife in England where she birthed. Right. And she did a home water birth with my nephew. And she, um, so she had, uh, she was pregnant for 43 weeks and four days with him. So she had, so she chose to not be, yeah, induced and sort of, it's sort of like being in the matrix sometimes I feel with pregnancy. It's like if you're going down a full industrial birth, you've got one set of things. And then when you go out and you birth with private midwives and have a different situation, they're so cool with you going to 44 weeks. It's just, it's just a toe. It's just so funny that they're so different in how they approach it. So her public, like her private midwife was like, yeah, girl we're not going to worry about it until you're 44 weeks and then we'll decide, but just relax, keep eating, you know, do whatever. But you got to monitor, like you Mm. need to be connected to your baby and you've just got to, you know, and I believe that you're going to know things by your like connection with your baby. And, um, and what is it like? I can't even remember what you call it now. I'm so out of the game now that I've got a two and a half year old, but like the, you know, the fetal movement Yeah. at the end, there's like a term for it. Um, do you remember how big her baby was? He was, he was just normal size. Oh, wow. I can't remember, but he was just a total normal size baby. And so I didn't want to get induced with soda and I was pregnant with her until, um, for, uh, so she was like, uh, it was almost 42 weeks. I think we were like one day off 42 weeks, but of course I had to go through all this trouble with the hospital. And that's, that's, I guess where... Oh, I can't read it. I'm on the telephone. Hello. You've got to be real quiet. This is so funny. This is what happens when you're a mum, isn't it? And you're just trying to do like, you can't have an hour. I actually can't hear her. Oh, good. Oh, I, good. Could, I could hear her yell mum just then, but I, I, I okay. couldn't hear her otherwise. Hey girls, I'm on this special phone call. So, yeah, I had all this like sassy talk. They, um, like I remember the midwife looked at me and she said, um, you know, it's not like your pregnancy slow down. It, and then she clicked her fingers. It ends. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know, it's, they just, and then she just kept telling me she couldn't fit me in for oh. getting induced when I was 42 weeks. And that's all I said to her. I was like, I just don't, I'm not getting induced before 42 weeks. 88% of babies are born between 38 weeks and 42 weeks. And I'm just not doing it before 42 weeks. And the chance of getting induced somewhere in like France before your 42 weeks is so much lower than it is in Australia. Right. So these are the few things that I knew. And I was like, I feel so safe to go to 42 weeks. So I just want to go to 42 weeks. And then there was all this thing, which was like, I've looked at the calendar and I couldn't possibly, (laughs) I couldn't possibly fit you in for an induction at 42 weeks, which is insane. And I was like, yeah, if I just spontaneously went into labor at 42 weeks, you'd have a bed for, for me. So, right. And she was like, oh, yes. Um, oh, yeah. There's so much nudity happening. No, please don't touch it. How old is um, Fade? She's, so she's born in October. So I guess she's like two years and five months or six months. Oh, my months gosh. Now. I can't leave yeah. Akira nude because she's not like, she doesn't know when to yep. go yet. 
but yeah. she'll tell she'll tell me um when she does a poo now afterwards she's yep. like poo yep that's good <laughs> but she doesn't yeah. um she doesn't hold it in so fate is toilet trained pretty much so so do so I did elimination communication with them both mm. from when they were with soda. It was four months old. And when with fade, it was four weeks. Wow. And then I found them both. I've had, it's been really easy. It's not been easy. It's just been, they've toilet trained um, early. Yeah, yeah. So soda was incredible. Mm. She was toilet trained at 19 months mm. and fade is toilet trained now. <laughs> Like at whatever it is, two years and four months or two yeah, years and yeah. five months. She, def- she just didn't pick it up the same. Yeah. Soda, just, Soda just got it completely. But um, yeah, it's taken fate a little bit longer, but she's really good. She's yeah. really good. And I give her, but I give her a, like I got a chart. So she's just now at this age where I can give her a sticker. And she knows when she gets 10, she gets a surprise. So when she does like 10 wheeze on a potty, yeah, yeah. She's like grasped it now, so <laughs> I don't know. So that's helping, and it's that's made a big difference. Yeah, um, I tried. I tried to try easy, mm. but I'm like, I don't know. I I can't tell. Yeah. Like I know Akira would go in the morning, just you know, yeah. just a few hours after she wakes up. But like, it's not until she's doing it that yeah. I could tell she was hooping and weeing. Yeah. I'm just but like, I, I just no started idea. routinely sticking them on the potty, like when they would wake up. First oh, thing right. in the morning, yeah. When they would wake up before we went out, and that's that's pretty much all I did. It was mm. just like the same toilet things that I do with them now. It's like first thing in the morning before yeah. we go out, before yeah. bed. Like I would just, and if they went, they went, and if they didn't, they didn't, and then I just gave them heaps of praise when they went, mm. and then um, that's, uh, yeah. And then with the poos, I started to get a grasp of when they were going to do a poo, like from the face, and then I just whip their nappy off and put them on it. Yeah, and then um. Yeah, but it, so, but also, it was just. I also just live a really. I live a pretty slow life, and I also found a great amount of satisfaction in elimination communication, and I think that's where it went really well for us. Is that it was something that I found a really a humongous amount of satisfaction from, yeah. and um, you know, and I just feel like for some people it's just not satisfying, mm-hmm. and when it and then. That's it. And if it's a drag to do, who wants to do it? Are you home more often than not? I'm home a lot, yeah. yeah. So, and do you find that helps a lot with EC? Yeah. 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 That's it too. But I did use like – um, I always use disposals when we went out because that's yeah. just the easiest thing in the universe. Yeah. Um, so what was I going to say about soda again, her birth? It's really interesting, you know, conversation with them that I mm. thought was kind of unfair at the hospital towards the end. Mm. And they also – they also were really intense on me and John having sex to induce the baby. And I just didn't feel like it. No, well. <laughs> it was, I just was like, I don't feel like it. Plus, I've read that, that like, the type, I know that the gel they put in you to, like, help kick start is based on a chemical that's found in sperm. But I heard it's quite strong. Like, yeah. it's a lot stronger than. Actual the, sperm. The, like, it's like, it's like, it's like five batches of sperm condensed into one gel and then they chuck it up there. That doesn't so really sound like, delicious. I don't know if one having sex once is just going to make it. And she's like, no, you need to start having sex. So I was like, you know, I don't feel like it. And then I feel like that was like, that was fine. But there was something about that, I guess, that so we did. We came home and had sex and I found it really horrible and I didn't want to have sex and I didn't like it. 
And I sometimes look back at that. I'm like, yeah, I just don't know. And it was just, it wasn't good for either of us. Mm. It's not like either of us were having a great time because who wants to have sex with your wife when she's like, oh, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> and he's like, I have to have an orgasm or this. What's the point? The nurse told me I've got to do it. And it's just like this, like really, I don't know, just annoying um, sexual intercourse. And so I sort of look back on that first bit and go like, yeah, that was like the first bit I went wrong. Like I shouldn't have done that. Well, cause I just didn't want to. Mm. And then um, I just had to start, I started isolating myself then because I just couldn't cope with the amount of people because I was like overdue. Mm. I couldn't cope with the amount of people that were just harping on about when the baby was born and blah, 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 blah. And I just, I just hid. And I was sort of started getting so stressed out about it that I would wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and then I would just end up crying but then in the afternoon sort of five days out of giving birth I would get Braxton Hicks from like three in the afternoon that would just keep ramping up until about 10 at night when they would stop yeah so finally I remember the morning that I did go into real true labor at 5 a.m. in the morning I was woken up with these like cramps Mm painful contractions that I was like whoa that was brutal like it woke me up out of my sleep and then um I only had two of them that was it nothing else happened at three in the afternoon my Braxton Hicks contractions whatever just started like they normally did I must admit so that was on a Monday the Sunday before because the contractions got even more so I was shopping at Foodworks and I was like I'm buying food because I'm going into labor and I, I just like had this labor shopping situation where I was just buying all this food because I was like this tonight's the night I'm going to labor and it didn't happen yeah of course totally let down um no please don't do that and then but it was really like funny because then on the Monday when I did actually go into labor I was so like this isn't going to be labor (laughs) it's going to end this isn't real labor and it took a long time to convince myself that it was real labor and then around like 11.30 at night, we went to the hospital and I was like, cool, I'm in real mm-hmm. labor. And, you know, I just didn't have a great experience through the hospital system valuing me as um, a birthing human being. Like from the second I walked in, they were like, are you sure you're really in labor? And I was like, well, yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm like 41 weeks and six days. So I'm pretty sure I'm in labor. <laughs> and they were like, well, I don't know. You might just need to, you know, and they sent me home. So I remember they I did went home. straight away. Yeah, I was sent home. They were like, you're smiling too much. Oh my God. You're too happy. Go home. So I went home and I don't know how long I was at home for. I had a bath when I came home. And um, actually, to be honest, I think I got this. I think we went in a bit earlier. I think we went in at 8.30. Yeah. And then I came home then and I had a bath and she moved. Like she really, when I was in the bath, really moved quite a substantial, big movement with one of those like very gentle contractions down into my pelvis. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, now I'm in labor. But meanwhile, I also had this added pressure of my husband who was just super excited, running around with the phone, trying to time my contractions continuously. Okay, never did that again. Never <laughs> happened with Fade. And I was like, and he was just so chomping at the bit to go to the hospital and just so keen to go that after she moved I was like you know what okay I just felt a massive big movement I'm in and I went back again to the hospital 
And again, they were just really didn't sort of want to take me, which I was sort of, if I, who knew that I'd never want to birth in a hospital again, basically. Because now I'm like, yeah, I should have just never have gone back or at least waited heaps longer. <laughs> because what came next was just a bunch of, you know, just like kind of uh, being triaged in your seat in a waiting room while what? you're in labor, which sucks, kind of with no one taking you seriously. And then you finally do speak to somebody and they're like, okay, you've dilated a bit more. You're four centimeters now. But, you know, sort of with this massively underwhelming delivery. And then they put you in a room and they're like, okay, have your baby now. And you're still ages of having your child because it's me and my, it's my body and we just aren't super quick birthers. And I was then in a room sort of with this beautiful midwife called Jenny. She was beautiful in a way that I could have done with her second time around where she was just completely hands off and didn't come anywhere near me. And, right. But unfortunately, the flip side of that was that I just, I stood up in the shower and walked around and never rested until, not, until she went off shift at 9am the next morning. Holy and shit, you were there for shift, ages. I was just standing upright. John like had already fallen asleep. I couldn't, I was just upright all night, but there was no like guidance on, Hey, you've been upright for ages. Maybe we should come and lay down on your side and let's just maybe go into a different position. You've been upright for two hours now and let's just, maybe you could go on this ball or maybe you could bend over here or maybe we could go on your side or I could try some technique. She just literally did nothing. Yeah. And of course, then I was completely devastated when she left and I felt like I was at sea without a compass mm. and totally just didn't know what direction to look into because you get re- so many birth hormones are released when you're birthing and I'd really just like my like big dopamine connection on Jenny and she walks out the door and I am a mess. I just think she's just abandoned me yeah. and I don't know what else to, I don't know who to turn to and who to look at now. And then I get another midwife who walks through the door, Jean. She flicks on every light, oh. walks through the door, comes in and is right, right, let me look at your paperwork. She looks at the paperwork and she's like, huh, okay, you've been working hard. <laughs> and then goes, it's cool, it's time for a vaginal, which every time for me vaginal exams were really annoying and painful. I hate it. And then it. she said to me, Jenny thinks you're edging towards transition. I don't think so. I don't want to make you feel like you haven't done any work. And, you know, I don't want to make you feel disappointed in yourself, but you're like still four centimetres. Are you serious? Because Jenny was like, last time I checked, she was six centimetres and now I think she's moving into transition and I think, she, you know, I'd estimate that she was eight centimetres. Old mate's like, you're not eight centimetres. No way, you're four still. Mm-hmm. And then I just had a massive, you know, it's hugely disappointing. Mm. It, um really demotivating you feel like you're doing something wrong you feel like your body's doing something wrong like you're not performing that you're not birthing the way that somebody should it's I think it has like a whole host of negative outcomes that come with that kind of treatment and I just kept trying like you know I was I was trying but also she was like I think it's time for you to get an epidural like you got to get an epidural now and I was like no I don't want one and I just Honestly, I can't remember how many times over the next few hours she encouraged me to get an epidural. Is this so? Finally, is this so that she would, you know, 
for you because you must be exhausted by the, by this time? Because it's been well, I think hours it was just hours, her right? thing. She said to me, I have, I, she was like, I had five kids. I had them all different ways. Epidural is the best way. Trust me, when my daughters start having babies, I'm going to be telling them to get epidural. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I feel like part of it was really just her own personal, yeah, her own personal opinion. She didn't really care what per se, like how much work. I really felt like I was still okay. Mm. I felt like I was still capable of laboring. So what happened then was that I remember my contractions were getting more in, like were increasing and I was using the gas and then I um, had a big contraction. My waters broke and I vomited, which what a great sign. (laughs) That lady is really like, you know, for some people when they go into transition, they can vomit, Mm. you know, or when they're at that, you know, there's like, it's just a big hormonal shift. Mm. I don't really think that it had anything to do with the gas when, when I vomited. I really feel like it was all connected. She'd moved down low in my pelvis. My waters broke. I had, um, then I, yeah, I, I was, I was in a different position and I, then I just vomited. Yeah. And then I remember sort of getting freaked out and a bit scared, like, Oh my God, like that was really yeah. scary that I just puked. And she was like, yes, time for the epidural now. Wow. And I was like, okay, yeah. I was very scared. I, I like, I yeah. had a fear in me then Yeah, I understand. and I was scared and I was like, okay, okay, get the epidural and the contractions had increased. And then she just kept saying, good girl, good mm-hmm. girl, good girl. I'm rubbing my back. And then it was after that, that I started regretting that I'd agreed to this because I just, it was like weird the way she kept saying good girl to me and rubbing my back felt really strange. It felt like I had finally done what she wanted. Yeah. But, you know, I was really confused and really mixed up. I just didn't know. So I got the epidural. Everyone was so happy that I had the epidural. Everything became so civilized. There's like food getting passed around. My husband's like, it's so thrilled. It's all like finally chilling out. We can eat and now we can rest and I can rest. But, you know, epidurals kind of suck. I had shivers, you know, like you can't move. It's makes you feel weird and I was like shivering so much and she said it's from the hormones like it's a really you know got it given you a high dose of pitocin because you're just not dilating and it's from the hormones that uh-huh. that's making you shiver and I kept getting lots of blankets put on me and I just couldn't stop this shivering and, yeah. and relax and um and then it just kept going on you know that I wasn't dilating and I kept just upping it and she was like we can't really up your dose anymore and then she gave me a vaginal exam again she was like mm, something's in your vagina like something's here I don't know what Baby. this is. And then this whole other thing started. It was basically, it was just a cervical lip. There was a okay. little bit of my like cervix that hadn't melted away. Uh, that, okay. When I spoke to other people about it afterwards, didn't seem like it would be that much of a big deal, but it sort of turned into this big deal where we just, ha- I just had so many people coming into the room then and had so many people and so many students put gloves on their hands and shove their hands up, you know, inside my yoni. And we're all like, yeah, what's this? And then finally this one guy came in and he just sort of reacted like, this ain't that much of a big deal. And he was like, no big deal. It's just this bit of cervix hasn't gone. Can you just try pushing? Just try giving a big push. And yeah. I tried giving a big push and, it, and he was like, and another one. And then he was like, it's gone. It's so gone. How, how was trying to push when you can't feel? It was weird. It was weird. I just, 
like I was just pretending like what you imagine pushing. Yeah, right. So then eventually I guess I dilated all the way. Well, I dilated all the way. And um, that's when I just did like a massive two-hour pushing stint. Got oh a different gosh. midwife on then. And my mum, fi- like my mum came. I finally said yes. I didn't want my mum and my birth up until yeah. then. But then I was like, fuck it. Everyone else is here. Sure, come in. <laughs> and then I was getting all this different information, you know, just like with the coronavirus, not one clear message. You know, the midwife's telling me to push one way and then my mum's telling me to push another way and saying the midwife's telling me wrong. Eventually, I ended up pushing her like one centimetre and the poor little thing had to be vacuum extracted out. Uh-huh. And that was just a brutal thing to witness because I didn't realise how small the vacuum extraction is, the bontus they put on their heads. Okay. And I did not realise this strong man they were going to pull in to pull her out. It was like he had biceps and was like, and you know, it came off her head a bunch of times and they were like, this is the last time we're going to try because it's going to start getting dangerous, mm. you know, for her brain and everything if we go too many times. And I'm oh like, my God, oh, they fuck. told you that? Crazy. Oh. Yeah, they're like, yeah, because there's only so many times they can do it before you start risking like hemorrhaging and stuff right. for the baby. And then he got her on that last big push. And he, it's so funny when you see them pulling because I was sort of tilted up. It was like he was like ripping this baby out of me. And I, I mean, it was confronting. So he, he was the was, vacuum. He was the vacuum man. Like he used big, he used a lot of effort. Shit. That, and then he was like, I think I'm just going to give it, give her one more and she's going to be like out. And he did. And then they did one more on top of their like last one. And then we got her head through. And then after that, you know, she was there in her little head out situation, got some good photos. Hello. And then I sort of, you know, I had all of these high hopes of having delayed cord cutting and stuff like that. Yeah. But then at that stage, oh, she had meconium as well. Um, and, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a big deal. It's, yeah. it, it was, it was not like a stressful meconium event, but because there was meconium present, they were like, we just want to cut the cord and go look at your baby. Yeah. And I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> but, um. I remember when I did get her, like when I got her on my chest, it was the most insane sensation seeing her big black eyes looking up at me. And that was just crazy. It was like she was looking (laughs) into my soul and I couldn't believe it. And I've just never had an eye connection like that ever. Like I just, it was just, it was amazing. Like that will be something so special. The most special part of her birth was getting to make that eye contact with her and see her and she came out with her eyes open she was like she was fully awake and um and then I just thought honestly I was like she looks like me this I have birthed me she doesn't look like me she could not look more (laughs) like her father they are twins in the hospital when he was sending photos off of soda people were sending them back drawing beards on her and putting a cap on her because she looks that much like John which in my weird state of post giving a birth when he showed me these photos that multiple people had sent back where they'd like drawn a beard on her because he had a beard and the hat and whatnot I couldn't I could not cognitively understand it I thought they handed me a bit of paper like sorry handed me the phone with scribbles and I remember (laughs) saying aloud why do people keep scribbling on the picture of my baby? And he was like, look, and I was like, I don't get it. I didn't get it. 
I couldn't understand what was going on. So, you know, and then it was great. I was totally over the moon. I was so happy. I was so excited. I couldn't move my legs, couldn't move them for yonks, whatever. Got upstairs, um, had some eyebrows raised that I was calling a soda. The lady wouldn't even write it on the whiteboard. Oh, my God. She said, we'll give you some extra time to think about her name. That's what happened. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for the extra time. Thanks. Thanks for all that extra time because you think I'm going to regret it. Got it. Um, Yeah. And there was like, it was just, it was crazy. That, you know, because they keep her in a cot next to the bed and she just cried all night and then Mm. you're breastfeeding. And I was really relaxed after that point when she came. I just felt bad because I, she only wouldn't cry basically was when she was on me and you're not allowed to co-sleep with your babies in the hospital. Yeah. And uh, it was just like, you know, an epic. I just didn't sleep for a long time. Because every time I'd put her down, she'd cry. So I'd pick her up and put her on my boob and then she'd be okay. And I'd fall asleep breastfeeding and someone would come in and take her off me and put her Mm. down. and um, then she might sleep for a bit, but then she'd wake up. And I remember when I finally did get to have a shower, it was like weird when I w- like went in and dropped my like um, maternity, you know, um, underwear mm. for like the post-birth blood. And I was just hit in the face with the smell of that blood oh. because like, but in the best way where I was like, it just smelled so much like her. Like I think. Oh my like, gosh. Like I just was like, holy shit, catch a whiff of that. It was like I was like had some kind of animalistic connection to the blood in my underpants where I was like, far out. That's my baby's smell. Like this is, there's like, I'm sure there's like amniotic fluid mixed into that that have just been the brine for my kid. Mm. And I really always feel like it's more of the amniotic fluid smell than yeah. even it is of the blood. I remember the smell of Akira because we didn't, we didn't bathe, her, bathe her for a couple of days. And I remember that smell. Mm. But I don't remember. I, I definitely didn't get that connection um, like you did with my pad. I don't remember smelling the blood in the pads but um definitely yeah. maybe because i'm holding her i don't know or maybe because i just not as sensitive well, I, I don't know i don't think it's a common thing mm. i don't really think that's like i don't hear other people talking about it but i'll <laughs> you know kind of like when i saw it in her black eyes i was like kind of just hit over the head with yeah. something yeah and then when later on when I finally got up for the first time and could walk and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I'm walking in and then pulled my pants. Down. I was like, oh, it was like, it all just like smashed me in the face. And I was like, just had that same moment of like, that's, there's like, it like got something lizard brainy switched. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in charge of it. And then I kind of like was in love the whole time, my whole like post, um, you know, birth, bleeding. I can't even remember what, they, what the name of that is now, but whatever that was, I just had an appreciation for it, like for the following several weeks where yeah. I would, you know, and I remember I was even sad at the very end because she'd, she'd you know, it would have been weeks later. Mm. That was the only scent left that smelled anything like she did when she was a newborn. Right. Was like my, like the period. <laughs> and um, it was so, it was just a strange thing that happened to me. And um, yeah, and I think, so I ended up staying in hospital for two days, which 
was, you know, that was actually probably the best part about my whole hospital birth was because mm-hmm. it was just like I, somebody was bringing me food. Because the second I got home, because we ran a small business, it ended up just being me and her and we just, John just, John was just working and, and, you know, it was just me trying to figure out how to be a parent. And that was, you know, that's just so confronting the first time around, Yeah. but really getting to be, spend those two days in the hospital where someone was just bringing me food and the toilet was really close by and yeah. I had a massive jug of water. And then I didn't want to do anything except for like sit and hold and look at my baby. Yeah. And, I, and breastfeeding for me wasn't a problem. We, she latched like a champion. Yeah. In saying that though, it still hurt. I kind of have a, I still think that it's not really correct that we pitch it to women that babies, that breastfeeding doesn't hurt because I think it might set them up for an unrealistic expectation that it's just going to be this totally painful thing, like painless thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Your boobs haven't done anything for however many years. Mm. I don't know. I guess like I've had boobs from like 12 till 32. So that's like 20 years of them not doing anything. And now they've got a job and that's going to take a while for us to both get used to. So I was told to, when I was pregnant, I was told to scrub my nipples with face wash, like a rough face wash, just to prepare, yeah. prepare it. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere my near my nipples. If you look yeah. at it, they're, they hurt. It was yeah. so bad. But yeah. Because well, I, I, I also feel like that stuff's just torturous. To be honest, it's so much easier to have a baby rough your nipples up because you love them. And every time you breastfeed, you have like a release of oxytocin, which is there to help counteract the fact that your nipples are getting roughed up for the first time in their lives. But when you're not getting any oxytocin released and you're not looking at a baby and it's just you standing there scrubbing your nipples with a dry tea towel, (laughs) you're crazy. Just let your baby do it. (laughs) Because at least they're cute. Yeah. (laughs) It's for something. A tea towel ain't cute. Yeah. So how so was that um, was Soda's big, you know, that's like the big yeah. talk of Soda's birth. And how was running a small business with a newborn? It was like crazy. I just stayed at home for four months. And mm. I remember John and I had some really big arguments. One argument, like I physically kicked him out of the house with my foot because I was so gropeable. It's just like, there's nothing that really prepares you for what, how your relationship's going to change when you put a baby in the mix. Mm. I, I just don't think either of us did. I just kept feeling like I was like this queen living in my most beautiful castle with my running amazing sewerage and my, you know, my running water and my uh, groceries that could be delivered, but then also was like completely lonely and absolutely out of my depth. Mm. And I had a baby that just fed continuously and cried continuously and couldn't really ever and just didn't realize that I couldn't do anything by myself anymore and there was no me time yeah and um just didn't know and you know and just felt continuously that I was doing it wrong in terms of um trying to make her sleep in her own cot and mm. that she wasn't settling and all of this you know just all of these things I found first baby super um it's just stressful and sad and isolating. Yeah. And, um, but at the same time, I was really proud of her and I loved her and was really good. Luckily for me, could totally breastfeed. Mm. And I feel like the best thing that happened about that was actually for the first time in my life, I've always had 
really bad anxiety. I'm just a really anxious person. Mm. I go on and off antidepressants when I'm going through really bad patches of it. I take antidepressants. And then once my head sort of starts to be trained again in, you know, normal thinking that isn't so anxious, I taper them off. And I can usually do that for, you know, many years. Right. Um, and then these anxiety thoughts start creeping in again and they sort of, they go on for a lot longer because it's always very subtle. Then need some, you know, extra help, some extra kit and, you know, stuff in my toolbox. And um, yeah, but when I was breastfeeding her and it was just us for the first four months, <clears throat> nothing trained me in mindfulness like breastfeeding. Yeah. Because I couldn't do anything else or I'd get it wrong. Yeah. And I just sit and I had two rocking chairs, one inside, one outside. I just sit. I couldn't go on my phone. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't do anything. I would just have to sit and breastfeed. And I would literally be doing that every hour. Mm. And here are these crazy, ridiculous things like boys feed more than girls or boys take bigger feeds mm. and then they don't, you know, feed as often or some ridiculous load of stuff. And I just, it annoys me that we try to genderize just breastfeeding. It's yeah. a problem, you know, in this, yeah. it just in the world. We, I, yeah, there's so much toxic genderizing that you'd never know of until you have a baby. And then it's just like, cool. There's all these opinions that of why these things are happening. And it's because I've got a female child mm. and I can't cope with it. And I really have no time for it. Um, so, you know, but I just had one of those babies that just needed to feed a lot and really wanted to be on me. Yeah. And I just had a lot of you know, feedback from people saying like, I shouldn't let her fall asleep on my boob, like, and stuff from my mom and, and stuff from other friends. And yeah, it was, it's confusing. But when I would sit down and just breastfeed her multiple times a day, it was the first time in my life where I fully had to practice mindfulness time and time again. Sit down now, breastfeed for 20 minutes. Get up, hold it, do some other stuff. Oh, 20 minutes again. Like just continuously mm. and I guess that's like one of the things that people love when they're smokers you know smokers like go out every couple of hours and they just smoke a cigarette you know before back in the old days they just have and before they had a phone and I feel like yeah that was probably them practicing <laughs> some mindfulness they went outside they had a cigarette they just sat chilled for a few minutes and went back into work mm. and so, so breastfeeding was massively wonderful antidote to anxiety when I just let myself follow my instincts and just breastfeed and try not to stress out about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it was just more, I think it was like the biggest start of like that shift in my and John's relationship was the fact that we ran a small business and that we'd always work together in the band. And it was the first time we were doing something separately. Yeah. So he was really engaged with running a small business and I was really engaged with the baby. Yeah. And that was really, that was like a big thing for us to navigate in our relationship was the fact that we had just completely now had started working together in a way we never had before. Yeah. We're the couple that have always worked really intimately together. And then we, for the first time ever, were no longer working together. Yeah. And that was a, that was that was strange. I mean, that's something that we still struggle with, with being parents. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's the biggest change in terms of us being parents. Whereas I guess other people already go to two separate jobs. Yeah. <laughs> They're used to it. It was like, we never had a separate job. We always had the same job. Yeah, right. I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> 
So that's a wrap for part one. Stay tuned for part two, the birth of Patience's second daughter, Fate, next week, which she had at home, by the way. Thanks so much for listening. See you.